Good morning. Before we get started, I want to pray again. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you and praise you again, Father, for everyone that you've brought this morning to hear your word. And Father, the, the one thing that I hope that anyone will take away this morning, Lord, will be to trust you. To in all things, Father, look to you and trust you and know that you are in control no matter what we see. So, Father, we commit this time to you, and I pray that you would bless it. In your son Jesus' name, amen. It's been kind of a crazy week in our nation, hasn't it? A lot of things have been going on in the last year or even longer that uh, might scare you, might make you angry, you know, might create a lot of fear. There's things going on that I, I, I never thought I'd ever see in my lifetime. Like I kind of figured sooner, sooner or later these th- there would be some things that would happen, but I honestly never saw I'd see some of the things that have happened in my lifetime. I was more concerned about my kids seeing it and having to deal with it. But the one thing that I'm seeing that scares me, or I shouldn't say scares me, bothers me more than the political turmoil, more than any of that, is I'm watching friends, I'm watching fellow Christians, people that call themselves Christians, I'm watching families tear themselves apart, arguing over it. It's fear, it's anger, it's, it's all this, all the above, all the emotions are boiling over. And I'm seeing it's I, some people that I really respect that are letting what's going on drive them nuts. And as we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks, it shouldn't be that way. Because again, as Christians, as born again believers, as the elect of God, we've got something the world don't have. We've got hope. We know how it's going to end up. And we last week we looked at uh, Matt. We looked at uh, uh, Matthew six thirty three, where it said, "Seek first the kingdom of God," and it says, "All these things will be added unto you." And all these things. Quotation, all these things. It's not just your daily needs, not just, you know, your food on your table, a house over your head, clothing on your body. But God knows your fears. God knows what angers you. God knows what gets your emotions going. And so he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. So he's talking about he will... Quell your fears. You'll quell your anger as well. He says, seek me first. Keep What did we say last week? Focus. Keep your focus on him. Don't focus on the turmoil that's going on. And that's easy to do. It's easy to get caught up in that. Don't focus on it. Because as time goes on, and this is a, uh, it's going to get worse. This is the beginning. Now, if we're truly born-again believers, if we're truly God's elect, there should be excitement. I understand the fear. 
But there should be a little bit of excitement in that, is, that statement as well. Because Scripture tells us that as this happens, as it ratchets up, as things start getting crazy, His return is imminent. Amen. That's exciting. That's exciting. That's not a reason to get mad. That's not a reason to be fearful. So this morning, I want to look at somebody who was afraid, though. Look, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to look at Elijah. Now, Elijah lived in a time of King Ahab and Jezebel. And Jezebel was most likely the most evilest woman on this planet. Coming up to this story, she's already killed all the prophets. She's had them all put to death. In chapter 18, Elijah had the face-off on the mountain with the prophets of Baal. And he won. God accepted his offering and the Baal gods, well, they never showed up to play. And so Elijah had the prophets of Baal put to death. And Queen Jezebel said, For what you've done, may it be done worse to me if I haven't killed you by tomorrow. And she's going after him. So, yeah, he had a little something to be scared of. He took off running. So we're going to read here a little bit. First uh, Kings 19 says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I don't make your life as the life of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. This is the prophet of God. He spoke with God. God spoke to him. He was afraid. And he rose and ran for his life. And came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Because Elijah, even though he was a prophet, he knew he was a man. He knew that, you know, and he was a sinful man. Because I'm no better than my father's. Verse 5, he says, He lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he laid down again. Verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and drank and went in the strength that the, of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, Mount of God. So there God fed him twice. And on that food, it gave him strength for 40 days. I think God met his needs. Met him where he was scared. Met him where he was afraid. Ministered to him. I think God took care of him, right? There he came to a cave, verse 9, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I am only left, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. 
He, he said, God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Now, like I said before, God will reassure you. Now imagine getting this reassurance. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces and rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard, heard imagine that Elijah heard the whisper, he knew, okay, God's here now. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And even I, I am only I am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go and return to your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shephat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So as a Christian today, as we look at what's going on, it's kind of easy to get scared. Because the world's kind of starting to look cross-eyed at you. You know, blaming us for some of the things that are going on. Nothing like what he faced. Nothing like what Elijah faced. And I promise you that in your fear, God will meet you too. God will come and he will reassure you and he will provide for you your needs just as he did Elijah. Now, the crazy thing about this is, it's like, well, wait a minute. This is Israel. How did this happen? Israel is God's chosen people. This is God's nation. God led his people out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land. He performed these miracles, led them through the desert for 40 years, provided everything they needed, took them across the Jordan River on dry land. Did all these great miracles. How did they get from that to the most evilest queen ever happened, slaughtering the prophets, and God's prophet Elijah on the run for fear of his life? How did, we, how did you go from here to here? Well, the answer is in Judges. Go to First Judges. Go to Judges chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8. You know, like we talked about, God had performed all these great miracles leading, leading Israel across the, through the desert, across the Jordan, into the promised land. Now, starting in verse 8. Verse 8, And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, 
died at the age of 110 years old. And they buried him within the boundaries of inheritance of his inheritance in Tamneth Hares, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the Mount of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose a new generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that had been done for Israel. Now, if you remember the story, when they cross across the Jordan River, the Jordan's dry. And Joshua, the Lord tells Joshua to have, have an elder from every tribe to grab a stone out of the middle of the river. And they're to make us pile of rocks with these stones on the promised land side. And the purpose of this pile of stones was to be a testament of what God had done. So there, the next generations theoretically would say, hey, what's this pile of rocks about? And their fathers would say, well, this is a proof of when, G when God led us across this dry river and brought us into the land that he had promised us. And then they would in turn tell the story going back to you know Egypt into captivity. Obviously, they haven't been doing this. Because now, here in verse 10, we see this where it says, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work He had done. So obviously, the elder generation was not doing their job. They weren't passing on what had happened. They weren't passing on the love and fear of the God that they were to serve. In verse 11, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the lands of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. And they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. And they abandoned the Lord. And they served Baals and Ashtaroth. And so, they so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunder, to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the ha hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn them. And they were in terrible distress. So when it says he swore to them, if you go back to Deuteronomy, before they cross over the Jordan, what did God do? He had them split up, six tribes, six tribes. Six tribes went up on this mountain, six tribes on that mountain. I'm horrible with names. I forget the name of the mountain. Pisgah and uh, another one. I forget the name of it. One tribe was to pronounce God's blessing on Israel. The other tribe was tribes were to progress, were to say God's curse on them should they not abide by the covenant that God had set with them. And here we're seeing the curse because they did not abide by the covenant. Well, I think if we look around today, there's a lot of parallels in our lives. This country was founded. One of the founding reasons of this country was our forefathers fleeing religious persecution. You are either a Roman Catholic or you are the Church of England. Both hated each other, and then they both hated anybody that wasn't one of them. 
And they are the atrocities. You can look at history and see the atrocities that were committed for anybody that dared speak against one of them. So our founding fathers came over to this country. And this country, whether you want to admit to it or not, was founded on biblical standard. Our founding fathers built this country God's word. That's been... Was it uh, the bicentennial? Seven was uh, 1976. Here we are now. What almost 250 years later? It took us 250 years to forget. So, go to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 28, verse two says, "When a land transgresses, it has many rulers." But a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability will long continue. Other translations will say that when a land is evil, same verse, say when a land is evil, it'll be given evil rulers. You ever heard the old phrase, you get the government you deserve? Look at society today. Look at our government. Look at our leaders. You think the bales aren't being worshipped today? Bales, all that was done, what, thousands of years ago? They're being worshipped just fine today. Every time a baby is sacrificed in the name of, oh, we're going to wait until we can financially afford that baby. That is the Baal of prosperity. That is a God of prosperity, and it was Baal, Moloch, to be exact. Whenever a Somebody says, well, we got to get just a little bit better. We get my business going and I need to do this. So, yeah, doggone it. She got pregnant. So we're going to have an abortion. because We're going to sacrifice that baby to our success. Again, God of Moloch. So those bales are being worshipped in our country. No more. Than, I mean, just the same as they were back then. We just call it by different names and we dress it up and make it look palatable. That is exactly what's going on in this world. So we get the leadership we deserve based on the sins of our country. Now, all that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? So I got a question for you. A couple questions for you before we go a little bit further. Everybody in this room a Christian? You believe in God? Really? Do you believe God is in control of everything? That nothing happens without his consent or prior knowledge? Believe that? Well, let's look at Romans 13. I like going through the Bible, by the way. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the government governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. For there is no, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. You know what that means? That means if you fight against it, you're fighting against God. Still a Christian? Still believe? Still comfortable with that? Let's look at 1 Peter. 
chapter 2, verse 13. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Ouch. It's verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only the good and gentle, but also the unjust. For this is the gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Still comfortable with that? That can be kind of hard to swallow. But the point that I'm trying to get across... We saw in Romans, uh, I believe it's verse two or chapter two, where he talks about God's name being blasphemed amongst the Gentiles due to the things that the Israelites at that time were doing and saying, specifically to Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, you and I are professing Christians. Everybody in here just said you were. And so if I go out there in society, people around me that don't believe in God, maybe somebody that's curious, maybe, you know, but people are watching. And I tell you know, and I, I put myself out there as a Christian. Yet, out of fear and anger over what's going on around me that I'm seeing going on in government or anything else, I start allowing these things to tear me apart internally, tear my family apart, tear my friendships apart, tear people apart around me, what am I saying to those around me? I'm telling them, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you know what? I don't really trust him. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying he's not in charge. I'm saying he's not in control. That This is all a surprise to him. Do you think God can be cheated? Now, I've danced around the subject, but now I'm going to say it. A lot of people are saying that the election was, was a fraud. And I'm not going to say whether it is or not. I'm not going there. But my point is, well, if it's a fraud, then you're saying God was cheated. Can God be cheated? No. He's God. He's omnipotent. No way. So if I'm a Christian, I totally believe that what has happened was ordained by God. And to say anything else, well, I'm blaspheming. We need to be careful. We need to be real careful there. So before I close up here, a couple verses to think of. Proverbs 18, 15. God says, by me, kings reign. In Daniel 2, 21. He says, he removes kings and he sets up kings. Do we believe that? 
it can be scary. It's kind of hard to, hard to swallow a little bit when you really sit there and you think about it. But God is sovereign. God is in control. This is something God, is, I, 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 I've said this before, from the beginning of everything happening at the first of uh, 2020 to today, God has convicted me on a lot of things that I have said and done. And hopefully people are seeing a little bit of a change in me in what comes out of my mouth. This is something that's really hit home with me. Do I trust God? Do I believe he is in control? Do I believe he is in charge? Because if I don't, then how dare I call myself a Christian? How dare I tell anybody out there that I'm a Christian, that I believe in God? Because if I don't trust him, I'm not. What I'm doing is I'm lying to everybody around me. So it's kind of hard, but I want you to think about that. It's something I want you to take home and chew on, even if now you're mad at me. You know, but I want you to chew on that because it's truth. Nothing happens that God doesn't know about. God is in control. And that should be a source of joy for us. One, because I don't have to worry about it. It's God. God has it. And two, the crazier it gets, the more upside down it gets. God's already told me that is a sign of his imminent return. Praise the Lord. He's coming back. And the crazier as this gets, the sooner it's going to be. I don't know when that is, but he's coming. Don't be caught fighting against him. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you and I praise you, Father, that I don't have to worry, Lord. None of this is up to me. It's all up to you. And Father God, all I got to do is trust you. I pray, Lord, that as a people, that you would forgive our times of weakness when we doubt. Father, we're human, and you know that. You know that we, we do doubt. We face this. But, Father, we ask for your forgiveness. And we ask, Lord God, that you would, you would build our faith up, that you would continue to fill us full of hope, Lord. Open our eyes, Lord, to your involvement in what's going on around us. Reassure us, Lord, that your time's coming. Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah, Father. You are, you, you're, it's that much closer to you calling us home to be with you, Father. So, Lord, we praise you and we thank you, Father. In your son Jesus' name, amen.